Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, April 28th, 2023, and I'm your host, Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity, each of them top draft picks in their specific fields. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income, and Don Saverno, Director of International Research. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's news, there were a lot of moving pieces to the economic puzzle. First up in housing, the Case-Shiller Home Price Index was up a modest 0.2% in February after declining for about seven consecutive months and now stands about 5% below its peak, which happened in June 2022. And with regard to activity, pending home sales were down 5.2% in March. Initial unemployment claims for the week ending April 22nd fell back to only 230,000 after a prior increase in the week before. And just yesterday, real gross domestic product, or GDP, increased at an annual rate of about 1.1% for the first quarter of 2023, which is different from the last quarter of 2024, which was up 2.6%. So a slight disappointment in the read. However, there was underlying consumer spending, which was pretty strong within the first quarter of 2023. In addition this week, Kevin McCarthy and the House sent their bill regarding the debt limit over to the Senate, so we'll see how the reaction goes in terms of progress that might be made with the conversation around the debt ceiling. And finally, just this morning, the Fed's preferred gauge of inflation, otherwise known as the Personal Consumptions Expenditure Index, or PCE inflation, was released this morning. And the data showed that the 12-month PCE inflation ending in March was up 4.2%, which was down from 5.1% last month in February. However, excluding food and energy, which is the core PCE deflator, inflation was up 4.6% in March, which was only mildly below the 4.7% number in February, indicating that core inflation at the level of PCE is not slowing as much as we would prefer. And PCE inflation is the last major piece of economic data before the Fed's meeting next week on Wednesday. So we have a lot to cover, George, and let's start with what you think this means for investors. Well, Brian, I think you're right. I think the week uh, the week of economic reports was was marked by a couple of key highlights. Um, I guess the GDP report deserves some mention, although it's kind of backward looking. It was kind of curious, though, that kind of coming in the report, we thought we'd see some decent strength. And in fact, some of the things we look at suggest that things were going to show some upside surprises, and they really didn't. Um, so the, the economy kind of downshifted probably a bit more than people expected. I think some of it might've been driven by inventories and things like that, but the, the underlying components looked pretty decent though. Uh, consumer spending in particular was was pretty strong and that should probably kind of alleviate or maybe ameliorate some of the um, inventory issues going forward. Um, also, you talked about housing. You know, Housing did kind of show some softness there, but I think we've seen some modest pickup in terms of just building sentiment and 
some new home sale activity that suggests that things are maybe troughing there too. So perhaps that provides more of a tailwind going forward um, than, uh, than ahead when it was. But uh, the numbers that probably people kind of rejoiced this past week had to do with the employment situation. You mentioned jobless claims, which is somewhat of an early read in terms of the overall employment situation, bounced up um, in a favorable direction. They, they declined, meaning that fewer people were filing uh, for unemployment claims this past week. Uh, and that actually suggests that, again, the overall labor market is, uh, is in pretty decent shape. And then I think you also talked about the fact that um, some of the probably the, the key reading that the Fed focuses on with respect to inflation, and there's a lot of ways we can measure inflation. Um, none of them are, are really perfect because there's a lot of flaws in, in, in many of them. But overall, it does suggest that inflation probably is cooling a little bit, but uh, probably not as much as the Fed would like it to. So if you kind of put all these things together, as far as I see it, it seems like the economy is doing fairly well, still kind of holding in there. Resilient seems to be kind of the, the, the word of the day. Um, and inflation is, is coming down, it's cooling, um, but it's not really officially cooled in the sense that it's still, you know, a few hundred basis points or a few percentage points higher than the overall Fed's target. So maybe, Rajiv, I should uh, ask you first, given this, this mix of, of economic data, given kind of what the market's trying to uh, extrapolate from banking pressures uh, and other things going on, what do you think the Fed's decision might be next week when they get together and talk about interest rates? Well, it, well, George, it's a very important question. I mean, we we all are looking at the Fed. We know this meeting is coming up next week. And and what is the Fed looking at? The Fed is looking at uh, the core PCE number, as you mentioned. That their that is their preferred measure of inflation. Uh, that rose for a second straight month. And this is showing them and showing the Fed and showing all of us really that inflation remains persistent, and it keeps the Fed on track to raise interest rates again next week by 25 basis points. That is the consensus. That's what the market is anticipating. You also have the Labor Department's uh, measure of employment cost. Uh, it's also a measure that's also very, very closely monitored by the Fed. It increased 1.2% for the first quarter. That exceeded forecast. Again, this reinforces uh, that consensus view of 25 basis points next week by the Fed. And the impact was, you can see the impact of this on the yield curve. Uh, we've seen short dated yields move higher on the data. We've seen it move higher over the last couple of weeks uh, on anticipation that the Fed will move next week. Uh, these are not huge moves, but it keeps the yield curve kind of in check. Uh, we did see the yield curve movement uh, a couple of weeks ago start to move lower, especially in the front end. And that was in anticipation that maybe the Fed would pause. Those talks are done now. It's over 90 percent uh, anticipated the Fed will move next week by 25 basis points. It'll be really interesting to see the rhetoric that comes out of the Fed after the move. Do they keep it a hawkish statement? How is the presser? Does uh, Powell answer the question about June? Uh, it's going to be really important to see what, where the mindset is for the Fed and how does that change the market anticipation too. Market, market expectations right now are that we're going to have Fed rate cuts later on in the year. It's going to be, pro and that's not something the Fed is saying. So does the Fed remain on their narrative that we keep rates uh, where they are, even if we pause, we keep the terminal rate higher for the rest of the year with no cuts till 2024? All of these talks are going to impact the market as well. But many Fed members in the last two weeks uh, have taken the, uh, the opportunity to come out to the market, make these statements that inflation is sticky, we have to control this, we have to do whatever it takes. They have all mentioned, all Fed members who have spoken in the last couple of weeks have mentioned the banking crisis and how that is something that's on their mind. However, uh, it doesn't really, it's not in the forefront. The forefront is really inflation and unemployment. And they are cautious about tighter credit conditions, but that's not expected to stop the Fed next week. If you look at credit spreads, that's kind of reflecting that as well. Credit spreads have been pretty well behaved over the last year. And even this year we came in, credit spreads have been 
pretty contained. A lot of this has to do with uh, lower new issue volume. Um, high yield has also been very contained. And when I look at high yield, it, it kind of looks like they're following a narrative of the equity market, that the risks that are out there in the market right now are kind of not enough to make things blow out and spreads for high yield. And perhaps that's enough to keep uh, the equity market in check as well, even with earnings season. What do you think about all this, uh, Steve? Um, I mean, we're looking at spreads over here on the high yield side. I kind of compare that to the equity markets. Are you seeing uh, risk being followed by the equity markets in a way that uh, it would kind of disrupt some of the momentum we've seen in the equity market? You know, it seems like it's it. we continue to be in a, a, a holding pattern, for lack of a better word, with the equity markets. It's like I've been waiting now for the better part of a month to see whether or not we're going to resolve to the upside here. And, and, you know, we've kind of been zeroed in on 4,200 as a magnet for the S&P 500, which was roughly the February high. Um, and the, the thought process was that as we came into earnings season, we would likely maybe get some kind of push through that, that resistance area. And, you know, even though the credit markets remain you know, frankly, very supportive given the the you know banking system stress that we had uh, a couple of months ago. Um, we have yet to see the equity market really really make a push, and and you know it's starting to get to the point where it it's becoming cause for concern. Um, you know, when I see the market go up two percent yesterday, and then I go uh, after the close and take a look at the market internals. You know, it was really a kind of a lackluster day in terms of participation. We only saw 75% uh, advancing issues relative to declining issues. Volume was always only about a, a three to one skew to the upside versus the downside. You know, these types of numbers are, are, are not what you want to see when you want to see participation broaden out. And that's a theme that we've been talking about for now the better part of uh, almost now, it seems like since the turn of the year, where participation in this market has been really narrow. Most of the performance has been generated by a handful of, of mega cap technology names. And while those names continue to hold up well, if you start to go under the hood and look at things like micro caps, small caps, other things, um, th this market really just does not have broad participation right now. So it, it's starting to become cause for concern. We may get through 4,200. I, I don't know, but but maybe the upside there is capped given some of the economic is, issues that we've got in terms of challenges to growth, Fed policy, you know, taking uh, effect and digging in relative on the economy. Uh, now we're 18 months into the tightening cycle, right? So we sh we're definitely feeling the effects and we're seeing things slow. So, you know, I, I think that we'll see how things go here through the summer. Um, you know, just a quick, quick glance at the earnings reactions. You know, everybody, I talk about this every time uh, we go through earnings season. I don't really pay attention to the beat rate because that's all of a, that's a game that everybody knows. It's about the market reaction to the to the earnings numbers um, and earnings reactions have been really muted as well this quarter. So, you know, when we look at uh, companies that double beat on both revenue and EPS, uh, they're only outperforming the market by a tenth of a percentage point versus an average gain of 1.7%. Um, and the same thing, though, goes for the companies that are missing. Uh, if you're double missing, you're going down 2.6% this quarter versus an average underperformance of 3.1. So, you know, the penalty for underperforming or missing on both numbers is not as bad as it usually is. But on the flip side, 
for sure you're not getting rewarded for double beats this quarter. I mean, you're barely positive. So, you know, the market seems to be focused on other things. It doesn't seem to be focused on earnings. Um, seems to be macro is the driver right now. So in terms of broadening out, Steve, it's interesting to, to me to see other parts of the world doing correspondingly better. I mean, it, I wouldn't say that as a, as a blanket statement for all regions of the world, but I think one thing that's kind of caught some people by surprise this year has been the strength in Europe, where Europe is outperforming the U.S. markets. And some of that probably is just due to the fact that they've averted a pretty significant energy crisis, at least for now, and, uh, and maybe that's because of weather or other factors. But Don, I'd love to get your thoughts on that in terms of is Europe's uh, rebound real? Is it legitimate? And uh, how do we think about Europe in general right now? What's going on uh, overseas? Thanks, George. And it is interesting that Europe has outperformed so far this year, as that is one area that just doesn't have those innovative tech companies. There there are none of the mega cap tech companies uh, headquartered in Europe. Uh, but you were right. The, uh, the the mild winter, the falling energy prices, they helped avoid our unexpected recession uh, in the near term, and we're we're starting to take notice. Uh, don't forget, they start they they came from a very low starting point. Uh, price multiples compression over the past couple of years has been much greater than it has been in the U.S. Even when you account for sector differences, uh, each and every sector on its own has a lower um, it trades at a cheaper price multiple than it does in the U.S. Uh, short-term trend has reversed, though. You know, European EPS numbers, they've outpaced similar companies in the U.S. through the first quarter, uh, especially in the defensive growth sectors. They've seen improvements in revenue diversification uh, and luxury goods, which is a bailiwick of the European economy. I uh, have seen really good improvements in their business model and in their sales numbers, especially to uh, Asia. Um, buybacks are at a multi-year high, uh, double what they've been even just three years ago. M&A, particularly in the downtrodden uh, kind of UK and uh, kind of ex-European uh, Union areas uh, is strong. And we could see a pickup later this year in the European Union uh, to pick up some of that perceived valuation differential. Don't forget, private equity has a lot of dry powder right now. Is this the rainy day they've been waiting for? Uh, that all sounds great. You know, why, why don't we just go all in on Europe? Uh, there are some caveats, though. Uh, that, that's the good side. Here's the bad side. Uh, even with those recent gains, European companies don't produce nearly as much top-line growth as big U, uh, U.S. companies do. Uh, they, don't invent, they don't invest as much in their future growth. If you look at something like CapEx to sales, uh, there's greater fiscal and monetary policy variation and potential variations in Europe as well. And this, I, I'm gonna underscore this one, uh, the biggest uh, e economy in the European Union, Germany, so their manufacturing hub is very, their, their stock prices are very highly correlated, negatively correlated to natural gas prices. So uh, natural gas prices are extremely volatile. If we, get a, if we get a shortage of natural gas or a big run-up in natural gas, we'll see uh, Germany start to uh, pull back and underperform significantly in that kind of environment. So when you kind of put it all together, you know, th there's been a little bit of luck involved so far this year um, in, in recent term, but there, there's such a big uh, gap between what's going on in the U.S. and what's going on in Europe. That's uh, the potential even to just be uh, market weight or uh, market weight in Europe uh, has potential moving forward. And when I say luck, you know, uh, what one thing that gets uh, maybe downplayed a bit in the media is that uh, China 
uh, was going through lockdowns and had a COVID zero policy at a time when uh, European nations were stockpiling for stockpiling energy and other commodities for their inputs uh, for the winter. So that, that helped mitigate China's uh, lockdowns actually helped mitigate the, uh, the, the effects of energy throughout the winter. And when you combine that with the mild winter, Europe, Europe kind of came out smelling like roses. Uh, but that just underscores just kind of the, uh, the importance of the Chinese consumer right now. Uh, so uh, China, you know, they, there haven't been any lockdowns since November. Uh, a high percentage of the Chinese got COVID. They had a mild form. They got better. And now they're out to spend. The Chinese consumer is out to spend. Um, over the past three years, uh, the increase in bank deposits have been about six and a half trillion with a TR US dollars. Uh, to put that in perspective, that's one and a half, one and three quarters, the total GDP of Japan. Uh, so every every good and service produced in Japan, uh, the the increase in bank accounts in China is greater than that, uh, and they're they're starting to get out and spend that money. Uh, we we saw retail sales jump back up into the they're back at pre-COVID trajectory. So uh, in a normal increase from 2019, uh, the government was able to finesse the housing bubble in the near term. Uh, by lowering the interest rate for first-time uh, mortgage rates for first-time buyers, and we've seen a very large increase in first-time home buyer sales, new home sales within China, bar and restaurant traffic, uh, good proxy for the retail sector, uh, are uh, off the charts. So going back to pre-COVID levels, so uh, that that could lead to um, you know Chinese onshore you know, domestic company outperformance moving forward. Uh, the big downside there, of course, uh, though, is that uh, China is one of the few bipartisan agreements that our, our, our government here in the U.S. has right now. Uh, regulation on Chinese companies, it, it, it goes over well in the media, and uh, the perception by voters goes over pretty well, too. So we, we could expect some tit-for-tat um, uh, U.S. regulations, to China as China regulations to US that could cause some volatility in the market moving forward. But having some China within your portfolio is definitely worthwhile for most investors. Uh, moderation is the key. You know, it, we, we expect it to be volatile, uh, but because of the differences in COVID responses uh, around the world, we're, we're at different parts of the economic cycle, depending on where you look. And uh, so China might be starting to open up and expand right now as the US might be slowing down. So having that little bit of diversification in your portfolio through direct EM exposure uh, is, is probably a good idea at most times. Excellent summary, Don. Yeah, there's definitely a lot that's going on. You talked about the the, um, the impact of luck can have on, on any portfolio and uh, any country for that region and for that uh, for that matter as well. So I think uh, I think we'll probably need a little luck going forward uh, here as well. We've got this thing called the debt ceiling that is still front and center. And uh, not going to get into that too much right now, but probably next week we can spend some time talking about that. We are kind of nearing that X date, and uh, I ultimately think things will um, will kind of come out of the wash. Maybe the level heads will prevail, but we do want to remind people that things can be a bit more volatile. And your point about looking at international markets right now and having some of that inside your portfolio for sake of diversification seems to make sense as well. So with that, we'll we'll stay tuned to uh, all the great things that are going on and uh, and stay diversified for sure.
Thanks for our conversation today, George, Steve, Rajiv, and Don. We appreciate your perspectives. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments in insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decision. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.